Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on a very wet and windy Wednesday, August the 2nd. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And we are going to start off with the weather and the summer washout we're having at the moment. There's a thunderstorm warning in force for the whole county today and for the coast, there's a risk of strong winds too. Well, while we've seen soaring temperatures and wildfires in southern Europe here, it's felt more like autumn since the schools broke up for their six-week break. But why? Well, Alex Deakin is a meteorologist at the Met Office. Now, we've been desperately searching for a bit of summer ourselves for the past couple of weeks because, yeah, we had such a change, didn't we? June was fine, sunny, warmest June on record uh, across the UK. But, yeah, since almost since the calendar switched over, we've seen a change in our weather patterns. The jet stream has just pushed its way south. So it's, it's all to do with the jet stream high up in the sky, a river of air, if you like, that's always there but in different positions. And it's it shifted south and it's bringing us low pressure after low pressure, wet and windy conditions. It, it, it doesn't look like changing this week, uh, more wet and windy spells. At some point, I'm sure we'll see some fine weather in the distance, but not this week, maybe middle of August. Not only is the weather a bit miserable to be out and about in, it's also led to the cancellation of events in Kent today. Kent Fire and Rescue have called off their open day at Chatham Fire Station, while in Thanet, the Broadstairs at Watergala has also been postponed. Well, I've been speaking to Karen Brinkman from Thanet Virtual High Street. People travel far and wide to come to the Broadstairs Watergala, And we had to make the really hard decision yesterday of whether to let it go ahead or not. Um, There's so many parts to it. There's entertainment on the bandstand on the clifftop. There are stalls all along the clifftop which have gazebos. Um, We have fireworks tonight, which they haven't cancelled as of yet, but I don't know. Um, There's a teddy bears picnic where they make 200 honey sandwiches for the children. So all these elements, the fun fair, the paddle boarding, Kin Neptune coming out of the sea, we had to make the decision yesterday. And with the forecast that had been, you know, was being advertised, we just couldn't take the risk for, for the safety of it. Yeah, but as you say, that must have been really difficult because there's an awful lot of planning that goes into an event like that, isn't there? It's the planning, it's the organising. We we had entertainment changing every 20 minutes on the bandstand. That's local dance schools, individuals, groups. So um, that's just, just one element. Um, and it's just like letting people down, the costs involved on stage and event in the first place. Um, there's new costs this, this year where you're having to pay for your own commercial waste, your own um, portaloos, all those things we've paid for, but we will pay for again because we don't want it to be completely cancelled. We are postponing it. Um, and hopefully the sun will shine for us then. Yeah, tell us the date that it's going to be rearranged for. So uh, Broadstairs Water Gala will be on Wednesday, the 23rd of August. Um, this was a day which should have been the last fireworks celebration in Broadstairs. So we already had the field, the gardens booked, we had the fireworks booked and we had a band for the evening. So what we're doing now is moving all the daytime activities that should have happened today over to that date praying that the sun will shine because it's it's having such an impact on the local traders, on the local businesses, the poor stallholders. They were with me at the weekend on Broadstairs Clifftop. 
trying their best. We already had a train strike, which we knew was going to affect numbers. Um, the first day, I think they managed till about four o'clock. But then by two o'clock Sunday afternoon, the poor traders had to just shut their gazebos down. The wind just made it unsafe. And it's it's also the local cafeterias, you know, those those um, the school children that get the little summer jobs there, hoping that they're going to get some work to, you know, build up a little bit of pocket money. And they're not getting any shifts because the weather's not good enough for the cafeterias to get the extra staff in. So the impact is huge on so many people. Yeah, I mean, we're only a couple of weeks into the school summer holidays, but the weather really hasn't been great. Have you noticed the impact in Thunnet? Because obviously it is an area that really relies on the summer trade during during this season. Have you, when you've been out and about, have you noticed a, a drop in the number of people who are who are down there? Absolutely. Um, that you know that once the summer holidays come, the train comes into say Margate Station and they all get off and they all go over the, you know, sit on the beach, use the local um the local businesses, and the footfall just hasn't been there. There are the people who have pre-booked coach trips that are coming and sitting under the shelters, feeling very sorry for themselves. And obviously we've got Turner Contemporary, which is an inside venue, which is fantastic. So there are the Crab Museum in Margate. There are those places that people can tap into. But if you were making the decision on the day, shall we go to the seaside or not? Chances are with the weather as it is. Plus today, well, yesterday they announced that they'd actually closed Broadstairs Beach. Defra had closed Broadstairs Beach. Um, so the poor paddleboard business on the beach can't even, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's impacting everybody. It really is. So, you know, with an optimistic view, they say the second half of August hopefully will be much better. So what we need everyone to do is get behind those businesses and, and come and support them as soon as the weather allows them. Not that it is for the weather for it. And as Karen mentioned, you are being advised to stay out of the sea at Viking Bay and Broadstairs because of high levels of pollution. The warning is from the Environment Agency and comes after a spell of unseasonably wet and windy weather. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you on the site today. And Anton Dubex revealed he spent three days in hospital after being stabbed in the stomach and leg by his dad at their family home in Kent when he was younger. The Strictly judge, who lived on a council estate in Sevenoaks, has spoken out about his father's alcoholism and violence. He's been on Kate Garraway's life stories and says he told friends at the time he'd pulled a hamstring. You can see the interview when it's on TV tonight. Two men have been arrested after a woman was found dead in a car park in Gravesend. Emergency crews were called to Bath Street at half five this morning. We're told the woman's death is being treated as unexplained. The men have been released on bail until October. Details have emerged of how a drug driver caused a crash that killed a dad in Dover. Stephen Hales was on his way to work when his van collided with a BMW on Folkestone Road in February. With the driver of the car, 30-year-old John Butterworth, was also killed. An inquest has now heard he had evidence of methamphetamine, cannabis and cocaine in his system. A preschool near 
Canterbury has been told to make sure children are supervised at all times after a little girl managed to wander onto a nearby road. You may recall hearing about this in a previous episode of the podcast. A post worker spotted the youngster outside the Bossingham site in June, which led to the school being reported to Ofsted. Well, the watchdog has issued what's known as a welfare requirements notice. A First World War hand grenade has been found near a playground in Tunbridge Wells. It was discovered by contractors investigating drainage issues at Calverley Grounds on Monday. The Army's bomb squad was called in to carry out a controlled explosion. Next today in the Kent Online podcast has been told it's a national disgrace that Eurostar still isn't stopping in the county. The pandemic and economic downturn was behind the decision not to call at Ebb's Fleet and Ashford International Stations. Well, Dartford Council leader Jeremy Kite thinks the government should put pressure on the company. He's been speaking to our political editor, Paul Francis. It's a disgrace. It's, I mean, the government absolutely should say to them, with the amount of investment that's gone into that infrastructure, you must put a service back on yeah. or we will, re, we will reallocate to someone else. There's a lot of public money gone into that. It, it's not all private well, investments. Isn't, you know. isn't one of the issues around that, those investments was you, you know, the government... Mm didn't maintain any kind of stake in it, it just... Yeah, well, but, but you shouldn't... Yeah, but you shouldn't really have and to... At least you'd have a, a yeah, place at the table. Yeah, but then, I guess so, but I mean, I, I think it's... I think there is a... I think it's a fairly safe assumption or a reasonable assumption that they would carry on running rail services from a rail station. <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone really would have thought they wouldn't. Uh, and COVID, of course, was a very extraordinary event. But I do think the government's got to go in and put pressure on them now and say... Uh, I mean, although they might not own, they might not own things. They've still got licensing abilities to the government, so I think they'd be using that leverage, um, and they should be saying, "Look, you you you've got to put them back on Ashford and Fleet. You've got to deliver proper services." Um, I mean, it's a it's a disgrace when you go there and see right. this. I mean, what was it six hundred million? Fact check that, but I think it's six hundred million quid's worth of investment in the station. It was yeah. oh, in the station. I you know I don't know the breakdown, but overall it's something like seven hundred and fifty-seven million. Yeah, I think. wouldn't surprise me. So you know, it, it's a it's a national disgrace that they're not stopping trains there, uh, and also it's an economic failure because actually you know businesses want to locate there. Um, the the at just the time we should be reconnecting with Europe positively. I won't talk about Brexit in a minute if you like, but uh, but. You, you take away the means to, or the encouragement for local businesses to trade yeah. and, and travel and make it normal. Um, I think it's a disaster they're not open and, and, and you, you keep on putting pressure, but they're absolutely resolute. They're saying, well, we, you know, economically the case isn't there. Um, I think the government, only the government can do it. The government's got to pull their managing director in and say, you know, th- there is zero support for you um, personally or corporately um, until you put this back on and started running again. And then if they don't do that, frankly, I think they've got to pull their levers and, and start re- offering the tracks up to, to operations that might. Yeah, but other operators might look at what Eurostar is not doing and think, mm, that's a bit of a, bit of a gamble. Yeah, but I'm, I, I think there's an op- I, I think entrepreneurs will always find a way, and, and frankly, the government could make it attractive, couldn't they? they could, yeah. There's ways of making it attractive with a new contract. Because um, there's enormous capacity on that line, I haven't realised quite. It's huge. huge. Well, it, was, it was designed to be, you know, the, the link to the, the, the biggest market in the world. And what have we done? Oh, no thanks. No thanks, serious. We'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll shut it, thanks, and we'll go out there. Um, it, it, it's bonkers, and they've got to do something about it. And 
Um, I, I don't, actually, I don't know what Labour's policy is. I mean, I, I don't know if Labour have said they would definitely reopen it. Well, okay, um, they're coming at it from a jobs issue. Right, okay. Like, or, or well, for me, it's an economic, I mean, it's basically, it's economics, and, I, and I, I, there's a sense of injustice too that you've actually got all this money in there, all that yeah. work got into building a fantastic station and a location around it. And then suddenly somebody comes on and says, oh, well, we're not going to serve it now. I mean, so is, is your understanding that, uh, that Eurostar has had a kind of licence to operate for a set period without any competition? And once that period ends... I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what the details are. No, I mean, I, I, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm, a fair, well, I'm a fair weather person. I mean, you just assume that when somebody says we're called Eurostar, we want to operate a European service, <laughs> you, you kind of assume they're going to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and then you've got two stations on the route. And... You kind of assume, and I th- as I say, in all fairness to the government, I think it's unforeseeable that they would suddenly stop doing it. The government, however, say they're unable to intervene, partly because they no longer have shares in the company. Kent Online reports. Conservative county councillors in Kent have been told to keep quiet or resign after it was revealed there had been a leadership challenge. We told you in yesterday's episode how a backbencher had claimed to have enough support to stand against Roger Goff. It's understood there have been some disagreements within the party as to how to make millions of pounds of savings in the next budget. Meantime, a public consultation on plans to close some of Kent's tips has been delayed following a huge backlash from the public. Recycling centres in Faversham, Maidstone, Deal, Richborough, Dartford and Swanley are at risk of shutting down to save the council money. Well, bosses at KCC say they need more time to look at the proposals with speculation the idea could be scrapped. Drivers are going to have longer to pay for the Dart charge after major issues with the system over the weekend. Account holders have until the end of the month to update their details. If you don't have one, you've got until the 15th to pay if you cross between the 27th of July and the 14th of August. Well, National Highways has apologised to drivers and said the inconvenience was due to essential system updates. The Fire Brigade Union's planning to write to the Home Office about fire safety fears on board a barge for asylum seekers in Dorset. The first group who've crossed the Channel to Kent in small boats were due to move in this week, but that's been postponed. General Secretary of the Union, Ben Selby, says he's worried more than 500 people could be housed in a space designed for just over 200. If firefighters were needed to to make entry onto that through those narrow corridors, when people were seeking to escape from it in the case of a fire, how would they ever reach the seat of that fire? and be able to to make the necessary rescues. We believe that everybody in their homes should be safe. And a grieving son is relaunching his burger van business months after a tragedy which claimed the lives of his mum and sister. Tyler Wanstall from Hernbay found the pair in his old food van in February. They'd both suffered carbon monoxide poisoning. He's bought a replacement vehicle, which he spent the past few months stripping out and refitting, and is looking for a new site. Kent Online reports. This is a fascinating story on the podcast next. Tiny bits of meteorites have been discovered on the roof of Canterbury Cathedral. Scientists from the University of Kent hope that what they've found will go some way to unlocking the secrets of the solar system. The meteorites are thought to have formed more than four billion years ago that's pretty tricky to get your head around and the bits end up here if they collide with each other and break up well Penelope Wozniakowicz and Matthias Van Jenniken are involved in the project and they've been speaking to our writer Chris Britcher. Being based in Canterbury we were trying to think what kind of a location would be really um, cool and iconic something that people can relate to and obviously the, the cathedral is there it's got these brilliant rooftops 
and from a scientific point, um, their records for their rooftops are very, very good because it's such an iconic building that anytime they do anything to the roof, they have to make a record of it. Um, and their ages for the rooftops are, are well constrained. So they know that like this part of the roof is 150 years old. That's the oldest part of the roof. So that for us was brilliant because it has possibly been collecting cosmic dust for, over 100, you know, for 150 years. Um, but likewise, they've just done a recent change to one of the roofs. They've put a new roof on. So that's only two years old. But it means that if we want to know how much dust is actually reaching the surface um, at this particular location, we've got the information there to actually calculate it. I mean, how small are we talking? I mean, are we talking you can see these micrometeorites or are they that small that they're not? Yeah, yeah. one thing to understand, uh, first of all, is that micrometeorites are the particles that survive atmospheric entry. So about, like Penny said, like 20 to 40,000 tons of dust reach the Earth, but most of it gets burned up mm. when reaching the atmosphere because of collisions with air molecules. They heat up a lot and, uh, and most of them just burn up, become like what we call the meteoritic smoke. So it's just nanometers in size particles. So we don't find these. But micrometeorites are between like a few tens of microns in size up to, let's say, two millimeters size. So the, the very big ones you can see with your naked eye, like uh, you can see a black dot on your finger, for example, on, uh, on paper. But the very, very tiny ones are very, very difficult to see. Are you able to identify them the minute you're, I mean, when you're actually on the, the roof, were you actually able to think, OK, this looks like it? Or do you just have to think, I'm going to collect this, take it back to the lab and then yeah. properly examine yeah, it? You take it back to the lab, you wash the sample because the samples from roofs are pretty dirty. There's a lot of uh, bird. bird poop, yes. for example. <laughs> so you have to get rid of this. So you have to wash, you have to uh, uh, sterilize, kind of, and then dry. And then once it's clean, you can use a microscope like this one, like a sterile microscope, and spend. Uh, you can do the magnetic extraction. Yes, of course, like she said. And then spend hours and hours just looking for stirs. And uh, it's a very long process. So why, why do it? Why go for, for such small little fragments? What does it show you or demonstrate that the bigger, you know, the more headline grabbing chunks um, so, don't? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a very important question, to be honest. Um, so with uh, meteorites and micrometeorites, the kind of the way that they end up coming over to the Earth um, is it is um, thought to be you have like an asteroid, which is where most of them come from, and an impact occurs on the surface. Something happens to basically dislodge material away from the asteroid, most likely an impact, um, and then you end up with these fragments and they gradually make their way um, through the solar system. So in terms of understanding what is in our solar system, you know, the different types of asteroids, Micrometeorites have the potential to tell you about a lot more different bodies than just the few meteorites that we have. So they just they sample a bigger selection of bodies in our solar system. Added to that, micrometeorites, so most micrometeorites are thought to be um, asteroidal. Um, I think pretty much all uh, meteorites mm. are thought to be asteroidal. But amongst the micrometeorites, we're now starting to find um, with you know, changes to techniques and looking at different sampling methods, 
um, we're beginning to find some particles that we think are cometary. Um, so we're sampling a very different type of body. So your asteroids are located between Mars and Jupiter. And your comets are much further out, uh, typically beyond the orbit of Neptune. It is hoped the scientists will now be able to set up a network of sites to collect more samples. We have heard that other cathedrals are interested in getting involved. Now you can follow Kent Online on our socials today to see the moment porpoises were spotted in the sea off Folkestone. They were filmed from the harbour arm and are thought to have been in the area for more than an hour. The mammals are often mistaken for dolphins, but they have shorter noses and smaller mouths. And a petition has been launched to keep a legendary Punch and Judy man performing in Broadstairs. Brenda Witz has been entertaining families with the puppets at Viking Beach every summer for 13 years, but his show has been banned after issues with his licence. Thanet Council say they forbid any performers from trading on public land unless they have one. Kent Online Sports. Cricket first and the Kent Spitfires have got their one-day cup title defence off to a winning start. They beat Yorkshire Vikings by two runs based on the Duckworth-Lewis method after rain affected play at Scarborough. On to football and Gillingham have beaten Sittingbourne 2-0 in their final pre-season friendly. They sent a younger squad to the match last night with Harry Bridle getting both of the goals. The Jills get their League 2 campaign underway at Stockport County on Saturday. Meantime, it's been confirmed defender Will Wright has left Gillingham. He signed for League Two rivals Crawley a year after joining Priestfield from Dagenham and Redbridge. And finally today Alessia Russo's former coach expects her to go on and score more goals for England at the World Cup. The striker from Maidstone got the first in their 6-1 win over China yesterday to go through to the knockout stages. I've been chatting to Colin Whitfield who was her coach at Bearsted Football Club. Great goal and I'm so pleased and really what Alessia needed as well as the team. You know, it was set before the game, hoping for a, an early goal just to sort of settle nerves and then let them get them into their stride. And uh, that's obviously the way it panned out. But yeah, icing on the cake that Alessia got it. And her first World Cup goal, of course, we saw her score at the Euros. But how much of a difference do you think it makes to a player to, to score on that world stage? She's got a few games without scoring, so I'm sure it will be a, a huge relief to her. Um, to, to have got that first goal and let's hope she kicks on and, and gets a few more. But um, knowing Alessia, I, I don't think um, she'll be too overwhelmed by the fact that she's at the World Cup. You know, she's uh, she'll get on and, and do what she does best, hopefully. Obviously, we had been expecting quite a few goals from England. They didn't come in the first couple of games, but a 6-1 win, as you say, and the goals from um, several players. I mean, do, are you feeling pretty com- confident going into the knockout stages? Yeah, I think it's really what the team needed today, you know, to get a sort of ham- a hat full of goals and um and as you say, nice that uh, several players got involved and, and goals coming from different areas as well. So um, I, I thought thought they played really well today and um, it, it was nice the way they mixed the attack up. So, um, yeah, I, I, there's good signs going forward. What was it like watching it at the club with all the youngsters who see these players really as their, their inspiration and their role models? Very excited, obviously. Lots of the girls very excited and uh, and of course when Alessia put the first goal in, massive cheers and uh, yeah, really good. Is she a real role model for the youngsters that you're training now? I mean, do they look up to her and say, that's who I want to be playing like when I'm when I'm older? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think not just for, for the bested uh, youngsters that are coming through, but um, Youngsters generally, you know, um, she, she's always been a really good team player, you know, even from the age of sort of eight, nine years old. It, it was never all about her. It was all about the team. And, and I think, you know, the, the dedication that she puts in, the, the commitment, I think, uh, yeah, real aspiration or inspiration for um, 
for children that are getting involved in the game. We saw what the Euros did. What are you hoping the World Cup will do as far as getting more young girls into football and playing the sport? Well, I mean, I think there's been a massive increase in, in the number of girls playing um, since the Euros. So, you know, I'm not. hopefully the World Cup will have an impact, but um, I think the Euros has done that already. Um, we're seeing more girls' teams, um, but also a lot of girls playing with boys' teams as well. So you've, you've got a lot more mixture or mixed teams now um, in several of the local leagues, certainly. So uh, that, that's good to see. And I think generally um, the game is more accessible now to two girls. England will play Nigeria next on Monday. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Threads. Plus, you can get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site by subscribing. To do that, you just need to head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast.